Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. You're getting closer and closer to spring training edition, which can only mean one thing. Site manager Dan Secatori is sad because he hates spring training, Dan. Are you <laughs> that's sad? Not that's not quite true. That's not quite true. And in fact, today's today's kind of a very spring-like day. It's very sunny. There's birds. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I dropped the kids off at school and, and headed back to the house. And I was like, this is, I, I could use a split squad game in Sarasota this afternoon. I think I'm, I think I'm ready for it. See, see, it just, the hating dies away when the television gets, actually it probably it, wouldn't even be on television. It really, isn't it amazing how that happens? Just like, yeah. Every, I mean, I mean, like I said last week, I'm still going to watch every, I'm going to tune in to at least parts of every spring training game. I, I will never make it all nine. Um, only sickos would ever make it all nine, but yeah. Well, it's this time of year. It's Caribbean series season, you know, WBC, WBC, WBC season. season, You know, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl to me means baseball is coming. I haven't even watched a complete Super Bowl in years. That's very un-American of you. And I applaud you on that. that, Bill Lee Lee would be very proud of you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so you, you slacked me that you were heading up to the vineyard to watch the Super Bowl. I wasn't sure if we were going to do this podcast while you're on like a, on the, on a ferry on the high seas, uh, going through, going through Long Island Sound or whatever. Um, are you all, coming, are you coming home just to watch the Super Bowl? First of all, it's not Long Island Sound. It's Vineyard Sound. Well, because Long I, Island Sound is next to Long Island. Yeah, no, vineyard I'm aware sound. of how I'm aware of how sounds and geography work. Presumably, the ferry you would take from New York would at one point. Be, I don't take the ferry from New York. I don't, how do you? Get, I take you it from Woods Hole. Medford. Oh, actually, you know what? I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned it. Maybe I should just drive to New Bedford. Actually. I could see if the Rhode Island ferry is running. Is there a Rhode Island ferry? Why don't you just there take is. one of those helicopters that leaves from Wall Street? Why don't because you just I don't do that? Die? <laughs> oh, that's the reason. <laughs> Going to watch with my brother who just moved back and got some good news about his <laughs> health that let's just say could have been bad and wasn't. And so oh, okay. he, well, that's good. we're gonna I'll spend a few days up there and uh Bring the dog, let the dog run free on the empty beach, which is all I've ever wanted in my life. But then I'll come back and we'll be closer to spring training games. And yeah, sickos will watch all nine innings. But wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got a question for you about, I got a question for an island related question for you. Sure. Um, So I was looking at some of our site metrics the other day. You know, I, I ch- at the end of the day, I, I check, I check to see like what stories are getting the most traction, and whatnot. Um, and I, and every now and again, I scroll to the bottom just because I'm always curious to see like what completely random and old stories from like six or eight or ten years ago have for some reason been read like four or five times that particular day. And the other day, for some reason, I stumbled across a story that got like five five views it was several years old the headline was pedro martinez hall of famer muse and lobster roll spokesman by one brian joiner um and i'm gonna re- i'm gonna read the lead right here 
because I got a question about that. I have several questions about this. Um, go for it. So here we go. It's beautiful writing, by the way. You know, nothing, Thank nothing you. to be ashamed of here. Um, baseball fans. I used to grow- be able to do that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later in the pod. <laughs> baseball fans grow up hearing about a forever unattainable past. Whether it's a generation of New Yorkers sermonizing on Mickey Mantle, or in my case, a neighbor in Maryland dreaming of a new Bob Gibson. Born in Boston and a self-declared Red Sox fan, I pushed my family to move back to Massachusetts at age 11 to chase the ghosts of Sox past. I wanted to live in a place where the names weren't Mantle or Gibson, but Williams and Yaz. Shockingly, it worked, and we moved back to Massachusetts where I studied Sox history and waited. Beautiful, beautiful lead. Um, and a Thank great you. article about uh, that's ultimately about a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> but, was the was the audio clip still in? Oh, the McDonald's commercial was the video clip in there. Uh, yes, it was. I believe the, it was. And, yeah. And uh, did I tell you? Did I write in the story the reason I found that video clip was I tweeted about it on the tubes, and someone who followed me already who worked in advertising is like oh yeah i made that commercial let me see if i can find it <laughs> and wow, that's, that's how cool. i got yeah that's how i got the clip yeah because that was well pre the youtube era and everything wow that's interesting yeah you should put so, that like, up you should put that up on youtube so or wait do we we should we should start a youtube page and put that up on youtube i think people would like to I see that didn't didn't i do that though isn't did that you? how you saw it I maybe you did well it was just embedded in it was article. many years ago yeah, it was long. well. Anyway, so my question is: Are you trying to tell me that you, as an eleven-year-old child, forced your family to move to Martha's Vineyard so that you could be close to the Red Sox, and then forced moved to an is, island where you could not get to Fenway Park? Forced is not the right word, but the rest is one hundred percent correct. And how, how does we, an eleven-year-old child have control over his family in such a manner? Here's how. My parents were divorced. We live with my mom. My uncle, who is independently wealthy, was taking summer vacations in eastern resort towns because he had a sock store that he was had opened in Dallas and was a looking foot to expand. Sock store, not a red sock store. Yes, but with an amazing name something's afoot <laughs> so the puns run in your family so yes so really the vac i think the store was as much an excuse to take vacations to places that they might want to put the store as much as it was the opposite mm-hmm. so the first year we went to corning new york with them and like finger lakes I love the, the next. Lakes. All right, for real quick, <laughs> real quick sidebar upstate New York vacation discussion. The Finger Lakes are like such a great under the radar vacation spot. If you like, they're they're the the Finger Lakes are right now what the Catskills were like fifteen years ago. Like they're going to be really big. They're going to be like where all the Brooklynites go to vacation in fifteen years. But right now, it's still. Pristine and wild. It's great. Not wild. It's all farmland, but you know, it's great. Uh, freshwater destinations are trash and should be disallowed. <laughs> I generally do. I, I generally agree with you again, as we discussed 
growing up semi-coastal New England, but Lake Cayuga is fucking beautiful. It really is. That's it's very pretty. Yes, they're they're very pretty. Yeah, but um, the swimming does kind of suck. So we went to the vineyard for vacation, and I was reading. I remember very vividly the Ron Luciano series of books. He was an umpire, and he wrote three books about being an umpire. Most of them were basically about fighting with Earl Weaver and they're great. And I was 11 and I loved watching the Red Sox on this vacation on the vineyard. Cause I was already a Red Sox fan because I'd been born in Boston and I lived outside of DC where everyone, there was no nationals. Right. And most people came, most people's families around where I lived came from someplace else. So there were a lot of Orioles fans, but my best friend was a Royals fan. Um, and it just, never occurred to me to be an, an Orioles fan. So we're watching and I say, Hey mom, and this is, you know, I'm 11. Let's move here. She said, find me a job. I went and I got the vineyard Gazette. I circled the <laughs> job, said librarian, town librarian. Did you six really? Months, six months later, we moved. Wow. That is like, that's that's that sounds like a kind of '90s family movie script. Like really finding a job for his mom so that he can watch his favorite baseball team. You know what'd be awesome if my seven-year-old could find me a job. <laughs> you know, I'm. You know what? Um, every year, this is so. It's not the vineyard, so I don't know if this would be a problem for you. I don't know if you have a big rivalry with this island, but like. Every year, the Boston Globe rewrites the same article about how hard it is to get people to move to and work at on Cuddy Hunk. So oh, I have no beef with Cuddy Hunk. I've been okay. there once or twice. Yeah, I mean, people who don't—it's a dry know, island, so people who don't. It, I, I'll tell you one thing: there's no dry island. <laughs> Having lived island life and now seen Banshees of Inisherin, which is the greatest look at sort of just the dynamics of island life. Mm -hmm. What people who think the vineyard is like boonies, because some mm -hmm. people do, despite the fact it's Obama. I mean, Obama. You mean, you mean like what Ron DeSantis thinks the vineyard is after Labor Day? <sighs> I don't think <laughs> Ron DeSantis thinks. Um, politics. Uh, I Cuddy Hunk is like that's they, like those people are hard as fuck oh I, yeah i mean yeah they'd have to be i thought you were they're, say they're just that. living out alone on the, a rock the nan word and i was like yeah of course i hate them but yeah. you know yeah so cutty hunky so, respect Nantucket, you hate yeah and then i've also been to to Pennikes, which is the it's like the farthest most elizabeth island in the chain the cutty hunk is on and that was a former leper colony that really? is now that has no electricity that um that is now like a place they send kids who need special attention blah 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 who've gotten in trouble on the mainland blah 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 to live together and work the land and you it's a very small island yeah cool. um, like very very small you can walk across it in like 45 minutes at most um and my stepfather actually used to work at that house. Um, anyhow, that's how I moved there. And that's how, when I was a kid, 
I watched whatever games I could watch. And uh, as you were saying, only sickos will watch all nine innings of a spring training game, but OTM is a community <laughs> of sickos. And to that sure. end, we have a lot of content on the site, Dan. Tell us about it. We do. So we have started our season preview coverage um, with the spring training pitchers and catchers next week, but we got a we got an early start. So we have uh, we are doing three different series to prepare for the upcoming season. So one, we're doing a, a straightforward positional preview. Um, <clears throat> right now, we've already got that started. We're obviously we're we're going around the diamond looking at each position. Phil Newfer has started us off there. He's he's got third base covered last week. We just published a piece about center field today. Jake Reiser, our newest um, signing, started us off with the shortstop position preview. Um, and then the other two series have we have one that we're calling things we're excited for in 2023. Um, Bob Osgood wrote about Brian Bayo and his work with Pedro Martinez. I wrote about Tristan Casas and specifically um, one thing that we mentioned on the pod last week. I wrote specifically about Tristan Casas's uh, very obvious drive and desire to be a star and a very public, uh, public facing baseball player and how excited that makes me. And then the third series we haven't debuted yet. Uh, the third series is going to be things we are terrified for in 2023 um, because this is going to be a volatile season and it is either going to be exciting or terrifying. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, that's going to be going up on the site until opening day. Um, Brian, what, uh, what, do you, what do you have for this season preview coming? I was going to ask, which one did I write for? I can't, <laughs> I can't remember which one. I mean, certainly – the uh, what we're terrified of works, but I have to say, having read your uh, Tristan Casas article <coughs> right now, uh, I agree with what you you say that novelty is the uh, what makes the world go round, and that's why this year is different to me from the last three because <coughs> even though Bogarts is gone and Betts is long gone. There's a lot of novelty with this team, especially there is a lot. I mean, yeah, could, like, could you imagine where we're going to be? Like, what if Yoshida is the is the American League Player of the Month for the month of April? I, I'm probably unrealistically excited about him. Yeah, but that's sort of in the absence of other things to be on on realistically excited about at the same time no caveat uh no real caveat i'm yeah. i'm ready and and hopefully he makes up for it because uh, uh, is that it for the site wrap up uh other than uh, my interrogation that is it for the site wrap up um we also have, if, if, if this is your first time looking at the podcast feed, we do have um, two other pods up this week. The Red Seat came back um, and did a deep dive into the roster. Pod on Lansdowne came back yesterday and did a deep dive into 80 for Brady. So <laughs> if, that's, if that's what you're interested, go check that out. That's I think all they probably like 80% of the box office of 80 for Brady. <laughs> They judging probably, from their social media posts they 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 seem that you know that their take was that it was pretty much as good as it as it could have been um so you know you know what i actually read today it was uh written by 
the um, the same screenplay team that wrote um, shoot, what was the um, Booksmart? Booksmart. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brady got money. Yeah, yeah. Was this like a Brady production? Is he the executive? I mean, he had or some hand. He had some hand in it. I remember. Well, I mean, he's it, in it, but but like, was he was he like, hey, I want to make a movie about octogenarians who love me? I don't know the backstory, but I do know that it has only helped the pod on Lansdowne guys lap us and specifically me in terms of putting out quality content because those guys <laughs> don't miss. Pod on Lansdowne, don't miss. Um. Neither has, in general, I would say, no matter what you argue about High and Bloom, um, outside of the Mookie trade, which didn't get us any minor leaguers, that the Red Sox minor league system is in better shape than it has been in a while. And that is something that High and Bloom talked about at the fun winter weekend. But, but not everyone agrees because Keith Law came out with a haterific it was list haterific. of the top uh, farm systems at baseball and had the Red Sox 23rd. Dan, are the Red Sox only the 23rd best minor league system in baseball? I have absolutely no idea, and you don't have any idea. <laughs> and Keith Law doesn't have any idea, and nobody does, and it's all pointless. Um, <clears throat> which I, I, I mean, I wrote a little bit about that when I, so I, I, I touched upon Keith Law's rankings, uh, on the site last week, although I did it before he ranked the system as a whole. I just did it with his top 100 because he shot, he is a huge outlier. I mean, so he's a big outlier in where he is ranking the Red Sox in general. Most other publications have them somewhere between 10 and 15. So he's a huge outlier there, but he's also an outlier on Rafaela. He has Rafaela as the 37th best prospect in baseball right now. Um, and there was at least one other site. Was it Pipeline? Um, or no, ESPN didn't have Rafaela in the top 100 at all. And he had Rafaela ahead of Casas, who's already put up like a 110 WRC plus in a, in a month of major league play. Um and so, look, on the one hand, as I wrote in the Rafaela piece, like it literally doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter where these prospects, where these farm systems are ranked, right? Like there's no AP poll that's that's going to give any material benefit to the team with the number one farm system. It doesn't matter at all. And they're frequently, um, I mean, they can be way off. The, I, the when I when I wrote that Raffaella piece, uh, you know, I dug into some numbers. Obviously, look, we know that we know that number one prospects miss all the time. Whether it's like Delman Young was the number one prospect, Jerks and Profar was the number one prospect, like two years in a row. The San Diego Padres were the number one system in 2012, and then they went under 500 for each of the next 10 seasons. <laughs> So on the one hand, like, who gives a shit? Nobody actually knows how good the system is. You, you can only know in retrospect how good a system is, right? So we shouldn't get too riled up on this. On the other hand, it does seem kind of impossible. If, if you're starting with Meyer and you are conceding that he's a top 10 in all baseball prospect, as Keith Law does, and then if you're Keith Law and if you're also saying Sedane Raffaella is a potential future star, I mean, he, he, he's saying his, his view of Rafaela right now is 
Um, one, he's, he's potentially the best. He could one day be the best outfielder in baseball defensively, um, which is which is a, a fairly commonly held view. He really is thought to be that outstanding with the glove. Um, he's an outstanding athlete. Uh, his, his biggest problem right now is that he has a terrible approach at the plate. But Law is saying if he can close that approach, and, and I guess he thinks there's at least a chance that he does, then he's going to be a guy who's a gold glove center fielder who hits 20 home runs with a high batting average, which would make him one of the absolute best players in the game. So if you have Myers, a top 10 prospect, if you have Rafaela, who Law is higher on than any other than any other prospect evaluator in, in the industry, and then you have Casas, who even who who Law still likes. Casas, he says Casas is going to be like a traditional slugging high OBP first baseman, who's either going to hit a shit ton of doubles or see those doubles turn into to 30, 40 home run seasons. That's an all star too. And then of course he has Miguel Blaze at you know at the back end of the list. And, and you know, who the hell knows what Miguel Blaze is going to be right now? He's nineteen years old. So it's it's. It's hard. To, like, if, if you're that excited about those three guys, then how could the system possibly be that bad? It does seem a little strange. But again, like I said, it also doesn't matter. So what's your take? My take is the same. It You know, there there's a lot of top prospects who it's so hard to parse out these lists because – in, in Law's case, he's looking, okay, what is the possible peak of Rafaela? And let's rank him around the probability of hitting that peak. But then you mention a guy like Profar, and I'm thinking of a guy like Alex Gordon or even the guy like Ben Attendi, who were all the number one prospects at the time. And they're all belong in the major leagues, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it took them longer to, like, find their footing. Well, Alex ben Gordon became... <laughs> Right. Yeah. But like Alex Gordon became over the course of like five, six years yeah. a, a player. But it yeah. just after being and Profar, a couple of times, I think, too. Right. Profar is a useful Major League Baseball player. Yeah. He's not signed to a team right now, <laughs> but that speaks to the fact that he's just a useful player. He's a useful role player. Now, ultimately, that has value, but doesn't have the same value as a top outfielder, the top outfielder in baseball, all things considered. You also get a case like Jared Kalanick, right? Who was Mm -hmm. not the number one prospect, but was pretty close to it. And um, can't hit, I mean, when he hits the ball, it goes far. He just can't do that. The Mm -hmm. flip side is there's a guy like Julio Rodriguez who just comes in and sets the world on fire. But that is the very, very rare case. Even a guy like Wander Franco, who was the number one prospect for like two and a half years, I think yeah. at least, is very good. And he's still like 21. <laughs> no, he's he's very good, but he's not, you know, he didn't put up Julio Rodriguez numbers last year. No. So, I mean, he missed a lot of time. He very well could this year. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's at least a, I don't know. Uh, there's at least a 10% chance that at the end of this season, he's like one of the 10 best players in baseball. The There's a little bit of David Price postseason thing going on where I think about Wander in that series two years ago against the Red Sox. And this mm-hmm. is not last year, two years ago. Right. Where Popcorn series. 
he just hit lots of home runs. He was very good, but he is also one of the exceptions. So yeah, I, I, I'm just keeping a note of, uh, of a little doubt about, uh, the the Sox minor league system, but again, with the caveat that you said, it doesn't matter because these are it doesn't matter. Subjective. It, it doesn't matter. And law and look, law may end up being right. And you know, and the other thing about about system rankings too is, you know, I mean, I, I start off by at the top by saying it literally doesn't matter because we don't know. But even if we did know, there really isn't a drastic difference between the tenth best farm system in the 23rd like there there really isn't um when you're when the red sox even mentions my boy nico cavadas who i love (laughs) yeah you do love him huh he well it's i mean he he didn't look so good after promotion last year but we'll see we'll see i mean he could be i don't know he's a college hitter um, he could be Bobby Dalbeck. Yeah, I mean that's that's maybe the best case scenario for him. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a with with a better believer. name. Yeah, I'm not a combatist um, believer. Um, if if you are, if you are, go go for it. Hey, I don't know if I'm a believer, but I am a. You just like uh, him. You just I like a big. Li- I would like it to happen. You just like a big giant bopper named Nico. Speaking of things that we have two wanted. Nicos in the system right now. By the way, that's got to be a first. Nico Cavadas, Nico Goodrum. That's probably. It's got to be a first. Nico That's Goodrum. The... I mean, is he he's... really a minor leaguer, though? I know he's in the system. Yeah. He's well, no, he's going to be on the opening day roster. I guarantee Yeah, it. definitely. I guarantee Because right now, the way the roster is constructed, if, like, Christian Arroyo slams into a wall going after a foul ball and needs to take, like, three days off, that means Bobby Dahlbeck is the second baseman. <laughs> and God, God forbid if it's Kike Hernandez crashing into the wall. <laughs> well, then, then Arroyo moves to short and Bobby plays second. So that's the way the roster is constructed right now. They literally don't have a backup middle infielder. So unless we think Profar, Andrew, and Profar hasn't even played short in years. Um, so I guess unless we think Andrews or Iglesias is coming on, and I don't see it at this point. Maybe it, it it seems like they're if they want Andrews, they really only want him on a one year deal, and he thinks he's better than that. And I it, he probably will get a two year deal somewhere. So I think Nico Goodrum is going to be on the opening day roster, probably. But Elvis, it's it's getting late. Elvis, it's getting late. It is getting late. I mean, Trevor Story still wasn't signed at this point last year. That's a good point. But that was uh, someone moment. someone who is on the Red Sox is Justin Turner. And it was revealed this week that a big reason why was Enrique Hernandez hounding him uh, and recruiting him to come to the Red Sox because he felt that Turner would bring a presence to the clubhouse that they sorely lacked, having played with Turner in Los Angeles. And apparently it worked. And now Turner's here. Dan, what did you read into this whole situation? Because it seemed to be a lot of, I mean, it's, it's Kike. So he's the coolest guy. Yeah. 
but it does seem like there was a little bit of implied criticism here. Or at yeah. Least I think so. Well, there there were two interesting things I think about what he said about Turner. Um, putting the the criticism in the back burner for a second, I just thought it was fun, more funny than interesting. I guess that he's talked about how he you know he he recruited both Kenley and Justin Turner via text. At least I don't we don't know how how hard these recruiting pushes were. But he said, like, yeah, Kenley was really easy to convince, but Justin Turner took a while, <laughs> um, which is – that's interesting to me that Justin Turner was so hesitant to come here. I mean, we hear about these recruiting pitches all the time, but have we ever once heard of a player being recruited to a team that offered him only the second or third most money? <laughs> like Jansen and Turner are both here because the Red Sox are offered them the most money, right? So that's, I thought of that too, that it really made it sound like a collaborative process or value added from Kike. Maybe it was, and maybe there, maybe there was some value added, but at the, when it comes down to it, my thought was, well, he's not, he's not the GM, you know, it's. Well, he's, he's asking for a bonus <laughs> in the interview. He asked for a bonus from. Blue yeah. Team. I don't think he's going to get that. Uh, it's it's just interesting because it, he made it very clear that they needed a different type of presence and he thought that Turner brought that. Yeah. Well, on the one hand, yeah, last season was depressing as fuck. <laughs> and I think like we all knew that. Um, but on the other hand, it's not like it, it's not like Julian Tavares was in the clubhouse or something like that. I mean, is he really like is he taking a shot at well, so the, the the innuendo that people started putting together a couple of weeks ago was that this was about Matt Barnes. Because, really? Because as soon, the, the night that Matt Barnes was DM, was DFA'd, or maybe it was, or I don't know if it was the night he was DFA'd or if the, if it was the night that the Blyer trade was completed. Um, Kike sent out a tweet that said, I like my team. That's the tweet. Oh, wow. Um, which the timing was was pretty curious. Um so I don't know if Matt Barnes of all people was was a was a problematic figure in the clubhouse or not. Apparently, I didn't listen to Carabas's podcast um, because why would I ever listen to any other podcasts? Um, but apparently, hey, you're speaking my language. <laughs> but apparently, Matt Barnes went on and 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 kind of we we should have we should listen to this a little bit more deeply. Apparently, he kind of really went after Heim. Um, so maybe he was. It, pretty vocally negative in the clubhouse last year, but look like last year was a disaster of a season. And, you know, of course it's going to be a bad clubhouse when you consider how ugly things were on, on field for, for most of the season. And then, you know, if look, all right, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. If this is a, if this is a Xander thing, yeah, I don't, I don't blame Xander for being depressed as fuck last year. You know, why wouldn't he be? His future was uncertain. He was felt disrespected by his own front office. The market later very much agreed with him that he was being disrespected. Um, so he probably wasn't happy last year. That doesn't mean he was a clubhouse cancer. It probably just means he wasn't happy and the team was bad and none of them were happy. It could be as simple as that. It could just be like Kike being like, man, last year was not fun. And Justin Turner is a fun guy, so maybe this year will be fun. It could be as simple as that. I agree with you, and I think that 
GMs do have a very difficult time with the, especially baseball GMs, like above and beyond baseball GMs, putting together a team while accounting for the clubhouse dynamics when we've seen teams that are 25 guys, 25 caps win the world series, you know, right. it's, they don't have to get along, but if they're winning, it's fine when they're not winning. I think the resentment over not winning can grow and then metastasize until like, well, we're not all, we're, we're not getting along because you didn't put together a team that gets along and it's all when it comes down to it about winning and losing. But I, you know, you don't have to look anywhere beyond the 2012 season followed by the 2013 season to know that these things can flip on a dime. Yeah. Because we had one of the most dysfunctional teams I can ever remember followed by the miracle team. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like this did flip on a dime from 2001 to, to, to 2022, too. Um, yeah, which is no, interesting. I mean, obviously, way. there was a went back. It went back and forth. It went yeah. from 2020, 2021, 2022. Yeah. Well, 2020, whatever. You can throw that in the garbage. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, between 2012 and 2013, there was a ton of roster turnover. There wasn't really any roster turnover. But, well, there was some between 2021 and 2022. Um, it was pretty much the same group of guys. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. What, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens because this is, there's a lot, a lot of new faces now. And it's unknown. It's novel and it's fun, but it did get us thinking about the biggest clubhouse cancers wait are we doing biggest no 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 we're just doing a list we're just drafting clubhouse cancers yeah so i initially went i initially was thinking my favorite clubhouse cancer sure (laughs) sure that's which which was a combination of guys i like and also which clubhouse cancerous behavior was the most fun that's Um, awesome but i'm also not sure my list ended up reflecting even that definition (laughs) I think this is very much vibes list. So we will get to these lists after this break. And we're back. We are ready to draft Red Sox. Clubhouse cancers, our favorite, the biggest, whatever we feel like, basically. Our favorite examples of malcontent socks and how these malcontents express themselves. Dan, you may go first. I am going to go first, and I am going to get us started on a depressing note, but I just have to get this out of the way early so we can move on, because what I'm about to say is, is going to break both my current heart and the heart of 12-year-old Dan. Yeah. It's, it, it was, it, this is, I know, I know. Look, this is, this was a really foundational clubhouse cancer moment for me in my baseball fandom. I hate that I'm about to say it. We'll get it get it over with. The last years of Nomar were just so bad and depressing, weren't they? I think it was really the last year, but yes. Everything were, after yeah. everything after he got hit in the wrist. I mean, that's really it's 
sliding. And, and I don't, and I don't blame him. He was, I mean, he is, he is a tragic figure. I, and I, and I, in fact, now that, now that I'm older and now that we've won the world series four times. Um, okay. Sam I Kennedy. actually, what's that? I said, okay, Sam Kennedy. <laughs> so you're right. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but no, now that we're older, and I don't have the hunger and, and drive to to win at all costs. Now I can appreciate Nomar not only for like what he was to me as a kid, but now I can appreciate his role as a tragic figure in like in like kind of a literary way, like a literary Red Sox way. I mean, he was he was the prince who was promised, who was put on the cover of of ESPN magazine headline: Mission Impossible. Nomar Sox win the World Series, and he was he was perfect in every way and couldn't handle the pressure and needed to be sacrificed by the village in order for them to defeat the beasts at the gate. Um, and, and it's, it's a shame it went down that way, but now that I can look back on his story, like there's something poetic and romantic about it, but there's no question those last year was ugly. Yeah. And he was always, he was never like a bubbly figure. Like and, and and his sort of well, he was never bubbly. He was always very good, though. And you know, in terms I mean, he of he was yes with but the he was fans also, and with the media. Well, he but part of that was he was also insanely good when he was good. Yeah, but I, I, like, I'll just never I'll, I'll never forget. Um, so he was a rookie. He came up in '96, rookie year '97. They made the playoffs for the first time in '98 with him, and. That was the first year that Pedro came on board too. He was so goddamn good in that ALDS against the Indians in 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 '98, um, but they lost. And I and I will never forget the image of him. Do you remember they they lost at Fenway? Yes, because Tom Gordon blew his first save of the year. Yeah, and in as when they were down to the last out, and it was and he wasn't he wasn't doing this to rile up the fans. It was like clear that it was over. Right. He came out of the dugout and just started clapping, just like as the game was going on, it was like clapping to the fans and clapping to the field. And it was just like it was such a an interesting. I've never really seen an athlete do that before. Just saying like, hey, you're like, thank you, guys. We're here. We're coming back. Um, so he, like you're right. He wasn't bubbly, but he was great in that sense. He was great with the fans in the media. Yeah, and I mean, he was great with the media until he ended up putting a red tape line on the, on the clubhouse floor right. to keep them away from him. Right. My best Nomar story is a friend of mine who had, from New York City had never been to the vineyard. We, we get into the ferry dock and we go straight to a bar, like the most towny bar I could imagine. The Black Dog. We walk in, settle down. We walk in called the Ocean View that doesn't even have an ocean view. It just burnt down actually a few months ago, uh, which sucks because it's a great bar. Uh, free popcorn, so you know it's good. But we get in, we literally sit down. It's in the, like the third inning of a game. Second we sit down, Nomar hits a double off the wall, and this guy next to us goes, boy, Nomar! And I was like, well, welcome to the vineyard. You're here. <laughs> but yeah, that was sad. Uh, I he was obviously on my list. Uh, I will go next. 
and I'm, I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here too. I'm going to pick a manager. I'm going to pick Bobby mm-hmm. Valentine. <laughs> yeah, that's talk a, about the, that's how we'll pick. Talk about the vibes being off. It's one thing for the vibes being off because you're losing, but then it's another thing for the vibes being off and you are actively making the vibes. You're losing and you're making the vibes worse. Yeah. This was supposed to be the giant homecoming. He's a Connecticut. New England guy. He's yeah. literally a Connecticut sports uh, high school sports legend. Mm-hmm. Japanese baseball legend. <laughs> Japanese baseball legend. Mets uh, slapstick comedy legend. And he came and in one year torpedoed. I mean, he was always known to be abrasive. Like that, it wasn't a surprise that Bobby Valentine was sort of a dick. Yeah. But man, he packed a lot into one year. He sure did. He really did. I got I was excited about the hire initially. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I thought at the very worst, it's gonna be fun. Yeah. And it was not. No, it was not. It was the exact opposite. Yeah. And the Red Sox have subsequently had had previously and subsequently have made, I think, really good manager choices. I mean, Cora's obviously been great. Mm-hmm. Francona was great. But the idea of let's get Bobby V in here uh, was just seemed incompatible. Uh, from the very beginning, it's it's amazing how often the Red Sox in the last few years have just, if the season goes bad, holy smokes, does it go terrible? And it really, yeah. And it's not, and the the difference between uh, Cora and Valentine, it's like Cora doesn't get any crap for last year. I mean, I don't think he should either. It just happens, man. But with Valentine, it didn't get the sense that this just happens. Like, no, you're doing this. We'll see. I'm starting to if they if the Sox have another bad year, I'm I'm starting to sense a little jinks in Alex Cora's armor. And and depending depending on how bad the the Evandrelich book is, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about Cora. I mean, I I love the guy. I I I. I most important part of being a baseball manager is obviously man management, and he appears to be outstanding at that. Um, so I will always back him for that reason alone. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, the interesting thing about Bobby Valentine, I mean, yes, he was horrible. I actually, I, I don't think Bobby Valentine's the worst Red Sox manager I've ever seen. I don't think he's the worst manager, but it was, he was the, he's, what are you going to say, Joe Kerrigan? I was going to say Joe Kerrigan. <laughs> yep. And I, th- and, and I think Kerrigan was not only worse, but like was also similarly bad at handling the clubhouse in the way that Bobby Valentine was. I will say that is true, but he had earned his stripes to become the manager in a way that Bobby Valentine had. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That was such a, I mean, he had enough because he was a great, I mean, he got great results as a pitching coach. Mm-hmm. Fine. And it yeah. was well, he had easiest. Pedro Martinez on his rotation, yes. and uh, that helps. you know, in retrospect, in retrospect, were we just like so excited about Tim Wakefield coming out of nowhere that we just attributed everything to Joe Kerrigan? I don't know, was he really that great of a pitching coach? Well, probably not, but at the same time, it also didn't surprise me the way that the Bobby Valentine thing surprised me because Bobby Valentine, as you noted, has a track record of. Success in yeah. many operations. Great sports bar in Greenwich, Connecticut, too. There's baseball cards uh, under the uh, table, under the glass on every table and around the mm-hmm. bar. 
Um, it's really the cool. Bobby V but, Sports Bar is that what you're talking about? Yes. The, yeah, the the birthplace of the rap. Exactly. Exactly. What a goddamn clown. Exactly. All right, you're up. Um, okay, so my next one, um, I'm gonna tie this one into my first pick. Uh, it's this is gonna be a little unfair. I think you're gonna be surprised at the name, but I kind of just want to talk about this guy. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to say my next favorite clubhouse cancer, John Valentin. And he really only had one clubhouse cancerous moment. And like I said, this is tied into it. But of course, he held out and not holding out for contract, but in Nomar's rookie season, held out during spring training because he did not want to move off of shortstop. And at the time, I, I mean, I was I was 12 in Nomar's rookie season. And, you know, I think I've discussed before how, like, I used to go to Pawtucket all the time. I was obsessed with prospects as a kid. So I loved the idea of Nomar before he even proved himself to be Nomar. So I was all in on Team Nomar during this, during this protracted standoff between Valentin and the team. But, man, like, looking back at John Valentin's career up to that point, he was so fucking good. He had a real he great – And he was our – he was the best player, uh, arguably, for a couple of years. Absolutely. 1995, he hit 298, 399 OBP. I don't, I didn't, we didn't know what OBP was back then. So we didn't realize like 399 OBP and a 533 slugging percentage as a That's shortstop. Insane. 27 home runs, 130, 138 OPS plus. He did, now he did take a big step back next year, which was, the year before Nomar came up, but still he's 296, 374, 436. He was so good. And he had a real right to be like, fuck you. I'm one of the best shortstops in baseball. You're kicking me off the position for an unproven rookie. I mean, I'll just go into my next one because it's very similar. And the person had much less of a case for keeping their job. Um, it wouldn't be number two on my list in terms of importance, but Mine is Shea Hillenbrand. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't put him on my list, but I really thought about it. I didn't put him on my list because I didn't have enough time to research all the dumb things he did. But well, he I was just, absolutely he was mad about them signing Bill Miller. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was like, I, I've, I've, you know, I've earned this job. And in the comparison case, now look, Bill Miller is not Nomar, though Bill Miller was very good that year and the year after. Shea Hillenbrand had not done anything outside of very, very early in his career before pitchers realized he will swing at anything and he will not hit it. Um, yeah. He had no he... right to be as pushy as he was about it. And yeah. in Theo's defense, Theo was like, great, you're gone. Yeah. I mean, he was technically, I mean, he made the all-star team as a 22nd-year-old, second-year player. Um, but he made the all-star team with a 105 OPS+. plus. Well, that's this is one of those things where the all star team, know back then. Well, but the all star team is also based so dramatically on like what happens in April and May, yes, yes, totally. And he had a big April, yeah, right. Because he this again before pitchers realize we don't need to throw it anywhere near the plate, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter, yep. And so, oh my god, he, he only had 25 walks that all star season, <laughs> 25 he, walks in 2002. And I mean, frankly, the role that Bill Miller played going forward was obviously very important. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. No, that good that, deal for the Red Sox. And then he ended up he ended up tanking the Blue Jays too. Remember that? Remember he the, there was like a he he wrote on the clubhouse whiteboard like this is a sinking ship or something at one point when he was with the Jays. Charming, charming yeah. man. Yeah, what a charming yeah. man. Yeah, what a jerk he was. Uh, dovetails with Valentin really well though. And now does, we've got yeah. we've got a uh, left side of the infield disgruntled player. <laughs> we do. All right, you're up. Okay. Um, so wait, how many rounds do we have left here? I got three more picks. <clears throat> this is tough. I know who I'm ending with, so I really only have two more picks. Um, I don't want to step on your toes. Oh, man, this is really Don't worry really about hard. it. I got plenty. All right. I, I'm going to go with – all right, I'm going to go with one of my, I think, less interesting ones <laughs> and more obvious ones. And I'll only go with it because I have something of a personal story. Um, John Lackey goes without, goes without saying. Uh, everyone, everyone seems to hate John Lackey. Uh, despite the, 2013. <laughs> despite 2013. The centerpiece of the chicken and beer fiasco. Um, a guy who apparently stepped out on his wife after she was diagnosed with cancer, a guy who didn't seem well liked. So my personal story is that I once ended up sitting at a bar next to someone who I, I presume he's telling the truth because why would anyone lie about this claims to have been John Lackey's high school principal down in Texas. Um, and I asked him about it and he said that even in high school, every single person in that building fucking hated John Lackey's guts. He said from the teachers to the students to his own teammates, they all hated him. And I was like, yeah, that uh, that checks out. He really seems like a real piece of work. So you, I know you don't follow football, but the 49ers were in the NFC Championship game and they're down to their third string quarterback who was literally the last player taken in the draft. His name is Brock Purdy. And he had been 8-0, mostly because, almost entirely because, the 49ers infrastructure is so good that he didn't need, he needed to not screw it up. He ended up getting hurt in the championship game. They lost. But during that game, there were so many people who were like, Oh yeah, I was in high school with Brock Purdy and he told me I was going to hell for smoking weed. It's like <laughs> all sorts of variations of the story uh, from like five, 10 different people that just got amplified. Mm -hmm. That reminds me. Uh, that reminds me of that. Don't be a and, dick yeah. if you're a high school athlete. Those stories will get out. I mean, Lackey, Lackey's a great choice. Like I almost thought of putting David Price on here for the same reason. Well, uh, I don't think he. Is there any evidence that he was a clubhouse cancer? I, I'm, I'm a David. He Price just didn't want. Will be to the day me, I die. I'm, I'm a, I'm a defender of his performance. Yeah. I think his performance was serially underrated. But even like his ex stuff, he was defending a teammate. Like, do we have any evidence that his teammates didn't love him? I don't care. I didn't like it. But yes, you're right. That's not the exercise, which is why I didn't put him on the okay. list. Good. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go with the absolute most obvious one I can at the moment. And just say Carl Crawford. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. 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 That's a good pick, except that. When you said I'm gonna go with the most obvious one, and that's Second Carl, most obvious. I was oh. expecting a different last name. On oh, that. can I tell you something better? Sure. 
I meant Carl Everett, but they both let's <laughs> okay. I they, meant Carl Everett. That's I was like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. I meant Carl Everett, but they both it, it works for both of them. Um, yeah, I mean, Carl Everett was there was this era of early sabermetrics among front offices where people like Paul D. Podesta would get out there and say, I'd take a team of nine Milton Bradleys if I had to. Now, look, there's one thing where you can't predict how clubhouse chemistry is going to go. You get another case, like if you trade for Kyrie Irving, say, there's going to be business eventually. And that was true of, of Carl Everett. I remember I was in upstate New York at my then girlfriend's house and uh, I had to run out to get something and came back. Her brother's like, well, Carl Everett's out for the year. What are you talking about? And it was, I had missed the home plate uh, Mm -hmm. argument. Mm -hmm. And it was just never, I mean, the only, he did one great thing. Breaking up Mike Museum's perfect game. Which was like the most Carl Everett thing you could possibly do. Yeah. I mean, he, well, yeah, he did one great thing, but he was also just outstanding that first year in general. Yeah, yeah, he was great. What do you like thirty-five home runs? But it it never felt sustainable, and the reason it never felt sustainable is it wasn't for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Thirty-four home runs his first season with the Red Sox: three hundred, three seventy-three, five eighty-seven. That's incredible. Yeah, but I think he is outside. Okay. okay. Yes, I meant Carl Everett. Carl Crawford would also apply. We can just lump him in here. We don't need to go over it twice because he was also seemed not happy from the jump. And uh, I think Carl Everett would be the second most obvious uh, choice mm-hmm. given the remaining candidates. So I'll let you go next. All right. Well, so an interesting thing about Carl Everett as as clubhouse cancer, I specifically remember that season when it all started spiraling with him. That um, there were there were probably a couple of stories, probably a whole genre of stories that appeared like in the Globe that time, where they would talk to his Astros teammates and be like, "Hey, what the hell's the deal with this?" Um, and the Astros teammates never said there was like didn't seem to have a problem with Carl Everett, and in fact they they said a th- this is I think where the phrase originated because it became kind of a thing around Boston a little bit. The Astros teammates would always just say, "Yeah, Carl was trouble, but that's just Carl being Carl." And then two years later, Manny Ramirez shows up, and Manny takes that Carl being Carl phrase and. Boy, does he just take that and run with it and make it his own. And now in retrospect, um, I mean, I mean, I still love Manny forever. And this is where this is an interesting thing about like, what is being a clubhouse cancer even really mean? Um, because he was amazing and his Red Sox teams were amazing. And you can talk, I, I found this, I found this article that, Another possible clubhouse cancer, Jonathan Papelbon, after Manny left and went to the Dodgers, I mean, he ripped him a, a new one and, and came out and said some awful things and, and came out and straight up said that they were better off without him. Um, but that's very clearly not true. 
<laughs> it's very obvious to me that Manny Ramirez did not make the Red Sox worse in any way, shape, or form. Um, no matter how often he argued with Kurt Schilling, no matter how often he pushed a traveling secretary, which we can all agree that's the worst thing he did by far, pushing a, a man who was, what, in his 70s at the time? Um, but still, like, I mean, he, he was the best right-handed hitter in the game. The Red Sox won a shit ton of games while he anchored the heart of their lineup. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's, it is, is Manny Ramirez clubhouse cancer. He's on every one of those lists. If you look up biggest baseball clubhouse cancers, but certainly didn't seem to have much of an impact on the Red Sox. Oh, so you're, so you're picking him. Oh, I'm picking him. Yeah. I'm picking him and saying. You could pick, you could pick 2008 Manny Ramirez. 2007, 2008. That's fine. I, he wasn't the best right-handed hitter in the game. Um, I'm sorry to break it to you. No, uh, to, to, no, to quote <laughs> Peter Gammons when confronted with the exact same statement when during the time it was happening, said, oh, oh, have you ever heard of Albert Pujols? Yeah, yeah, Albert Pujols did exist. That is true. The one time that Manny was emphatically better than Albert Pujols and any other hitter I've seen in my life, minus pretty much the last X number of years of Barry Bonds and very few exceptions was right when he got traded to the Dodgers. He I was, thought you were going to say the 2004 World Series. Sure. But he was, there was nothing like that when he was yeah. on the Dodgers. He was as good as he ever, ever was. It yeah. was incredible. And as good as hitters rarely get to that space. Like even mm-hmm. J.D. Martinez in 2018 was like, he was close. But it, well, he, would had, do, I mean, he would go on those runs twice a year, twice a season with the Red Sox. I think the one he did with uh, – that would be interesting to actually look at the numbers. And was his run with the Dodgers really that much better? Or did it just – was it just – it was just easier to see because he, you know, was just just traded to the Dodgers. And, you know, it, it seemed like such a – you know, when a, a player changes teams and goes to Hollywood and, and it, he starts that streak right at that point, it just becomes clear to see as opposed to a streak he started on – July second, no, it was a much it, no, it was a much better streak. Yeah, um, it was. In over two hundred and twenty nine plate appearances, he batted three ninety six, four eighty nine, seven forty. <laughs> okay, yes, that is insane. Now look, he finished. He finished two thousand in Cleveland with a six ninety seven slugging. So it's not like he was too far off, yeah. and he probably had that sort of stretch. There too, yeah. I mean, your point oh my God, stands, insane. but in terms of showcasing it, and he was 36 at the time, um, that was one of the most amazing um, things. And I guess I'll just—I don't want to take Schilling, though. I feel some sort of—I com- feel compelled. Can I just lump Schilling and Papelbon together? Yeah, sure. Go it's ahead. Just the loudmouths. Yeah. Like, yeah, you were good. Like, let's, I'm not, no shade. You were good. But if they made us annoyed with how much they were yapping, I would imagine their teammate, especially Schilling, who, as we noted, as you noted, argued with Manny, uh, they just don't seem like pleasant guys to be around. And Bryce Harper, I think, would at least back us up on, that, on yeah. one of those. Yeah, Papelbon, man, it's amazing. Like, I, I, 
I loved that kid so much when he came up. And now I just, if I see his name anywhere in a story or something, I just roll my eyes. I just don't want to hear from Jonathan Papelbon anymore. A really friend don't. of mine. And Schilling, of course, is, I mean, that goes without saying. I, I, I said this in the office Slack once. I think there, there is money, to, if not money, at least internet clout to be made by somebody who takes four days in October and photoshops out Kurt Schilling's body in every one of those scenes and replaces it with like, I don't know, Grimace from McDonald's or something and then puts that on YouTube so that you can watch Four Days in October without having to see or listen to Kurt Schilling. It's really such a conundrum because even if you think there was some sort of showmanship involved, he went out there and did the damn thing. He did do the damn thing, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, my A friend of mine, his wife when Papelbon was on the Phillies called him ass face because of the way he his he would pucker his lips like that. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> All right. Last one. Go for it. Okay. My last one. I am going uh, to go with a person who is one of the top 10, if not top five, maybe. Most famous Americans of all time. But in researching this, I actually think still probably deserves to be more famous. Babe Ruth. I don't know how much you know about Babe Ruth's Red Sox career. But my God, this dude was ahead of his time in terms of being like, if his career existed today, I mean, he's like Terrell Owens. Combined with, you don't need. There's there's literally a perfect example of who he would be. You don't. This is no longer a thought exercise because Shohei Otani exists. Well, okay, no, 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 no. But I'm talking about his off field exploits. And uh, his, I guess. Yeah, so, uh, and I'll, I'll get the opposite Shohei. of Shohei. I'll get to Shohei for a second. Let me just okay. let me just run you through some Babe Ruth clubhouse cancer highlights. He was a rookie in 1914. Um. Had a fine rookie season, obviously, mostly as a pitcher. 1915, he slumped, uh, according to according to the Society of American Baseball Research, in part because of ex- his excessive carousing with fellow pitcher Dutch Leonard and a broken toe that he sustained by kicking the bench in frustration after he was intentionally walked that kept him out of the starting rotation for two weeks. In 1917... Facing Washington on June 23rd, Babe Ruth walked the first Senators batter on four pitches. First batter, four pitches. Feeling squeezed by home plate umpire Brick Owens, Ruth stormed off the mound and punched Owens in the head. After Ruth was ejected in that game, Ernie Shore came in to relieve. The base runner who Ruth had walked was thrown out trying to steal, and Shore then retired the next 26 hitters. Um, Babe Ruth only got a 10-game suspension and a $100 fine for punching the home plate umpire in the face that day. Um, In 1918, this is when Ruth had started to hit a little bit. Uh, Ruth was in a fight with Red Sox management because he wanted to stop pitching. He wanted to hit because he could see the future, and he could see that he was on the verge of changing sports as we know it forever. Um, Red Sox management did not want him to hit. They wanted to pitch. He quit the team in July. In the middle of the season, he quit 
New York Times headline, July 4th, 1918. Babe Ruth jumps Red Sox, will play in shipbuilding league. He quit the Red Sox in the middle of a World Series winning season and temporarily joined a league of shipbuilders while he attempt supported a nascent players union that, of course, would not actually get under the ground, the guff ground, for another couple of decades. Um, he did return to the Red Sox a few days later, obviously, of course, um, and ended up winning the World Series with them in 1918. Um, here's his quote when he returned, because again, he was, he was, he was fighting with the Red Sox because he only wanted to hit. And so this is where Shohei comes in. I don't think a man can pitch in his regular turn and play every other game at some other position and keep that pace year after year. Ruth said, I can do this all season, right? And not feel it for I am young and strong and I don't mind the work, but I wouldn't guarantee to do it for many seasons. Um, and then before the 1919 season, he once again held out in spring training he was seeking to double his salary. He held out and threatened publicly that he was going to become a boxer. And then, of course, um, the Red Sox obviously sold him to the Yankees. Oh, I lost the quote. Where's the Frizzy quote? Let me see if I can find it. Anyway, there's a, there's a wonderful Harry Frizzy quote after, after the sale where he says, like, it doesn't matter how good Babe Ruth is. Um, no team can be successful when when one player rows one way while the other team is rowing the other way. And obviously the rest is history. We don't need to go over how wrong Harry Frisee was. So I'm going with Babe Ruth, a delightfully fun and colorful clubhouse cancer, who despite being one of the 10 most famous Americans, probably should be more famous. Well, let's go from arguably the best hitter of all time to arguably the best pitcher of all time. My last choice will be Roger Clemens who has gotten a bad rap in some ways, but in other ways, has earned any of the vitriol people say. Um, what ways do you think he's gotten a bad rap? Well, people say that he gave up on the Red Sox. He showed up uh, overweight. Uh, his last season on the Red Sox, he uh, pitched 242 innings, led the league in strikeouts. Yeah. And yeah, he was 10 and 13. His FIP which we look at now was 3.43. That's fine. Now, yeah, the year before he didn't pitch a full season and his ERA was over four, but looking at his stats, I would hardly, and now look, a lot of this is refracted by all that comes after he leaves where he wins. Four yeah. more well, that's the thing. Like Duquette was, it's it, Duquette was so right to say that he was in the twilight of his career when they let him go. He was, he was 33 I, years old. Uh, he was 33 years old. He, he, he was just, clear. He was a clear step down from his peak. And then he roided up and but, became the best pitcher of all time. Okay. But, you fair. Know, I don't, but I do think that he was uh, still, I think he was still trying all those times and yeah. he's a pitcher and shit happened. And then yes, he took steroids and was even better than he had been before, arguably. Uh, but he's just such the obvious choice. I, as I've said on this, I love him uh, as a color guy. Cause I think he's, I actually think he's really good. And clearly the organization doesn't have bad blood with him because they let him back, you know? They let him back to do these Nesson um, 
color guy stuff. And I think a lot of Clemens, anti-Clemens stuff comes from steroid stuff that happened after and then his like contract stuff and Roger, he's in Roger's box. Yeah. Uh, but very, very easy choice to round us out here. You're right. He, I, I guess you're right. He was, I mean, when, when I came online as a baseball fan, Clemens was the name on the Red Sox, of course. But by the I mean, time that, I was... whole career, yeah. whole career can be traced to saying good things about Larry Bird and saying bad things about Roger Clemens. He's obviously wrong with it. No shade. <laughs> but true. that is... Those were his, like, his things that he wrote about very early on. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I don't know... I, I, I wasn't cognizant enough to know like how much the media created this perception. But by the time I came online, I like the, the impression to me as a seven or eight year old or whatever was that like, Oh, Roger Clemens is, is like that. I don't know if, I don't know if I would have thought he was like a bum as a seven or eight year old, but it's clearly like, Oh, Roger Clemens is the guy in the Red Sox who, is the big Red Sox player, but is disgruntled and doesn't pitch to his potential. I mean, a guy like so Roger Clemens right. and a guy like Dan Shaughnessy are made for each other in bad times. Yeah, Those two things are just going to play off each other. But I think that Clemens, I mean, the same way I defend Price's actual performance on the Red Sox, the same with to some to some degree, the same degree with Clemens, but let me ask you more than enough to earn. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Dan Shaughnessy is aware of how totally irrelevant he is today? Like in with even within the Red Sox world? Because nobody cares about Dan Shaughnessy at all right now. No, no, you know, nobody, nobody under the age of 30 has ever read a single word he's written. And it's it's a you know, it's a combination of some sad things, obviously, the decline of the newspaper industry. Um, but he's also just so out of step with how modern baseball works and how to yeah, think like about Mar- it and talk about it. But it's like I Murray like Chass from yeah. the Times writing about the Yankees, and then when he left the Times and he's writing these just nasty, mean spirited blogs that nobody cares about. Yeah. Like, Dude, who are do you, you think? Do you think? He, do you think Dan Shaughnessy knows that like literally no one under the age of thirty has ever read a word he's written? Yeah, probably. I, I think, think so. he uses that. I think he probably uses that as fuel to. Yeah. Fire up his. I don't even know if he has a computer. I don't know if he has internet access. I really don't. (laughs) He might be completely clueless. He may be. He may be. He may be pulling up his typewriter every day and thinking, "I'm gonna set Red Sox Nation on fire with this one." Completely unaware of, oblivious to the fact that, like, he's whatever he writes these days is just like a fart in the wind. Nobody cares. He's just miserable. He's a miserable person. Yeah. Or at least that's look. Don't know the man. Comes across as miserable. That's our draft. Uh, Dan, would you like to know my enemy of the week? I always want to know your mortal enemy of the week. Let's hear it. Brian Joyner's mortal enemy of the week for February 6th through 10th. It's barf. (laughs) Because last week my son barfed at school and I had to pick him up. And then yesterday my daughter barfed right after school. And she is here. Lila, you want to say hi? Say it loudly. No, you got to say it. Okay, that's Lila. Uh, uh. So uh, the 
only advantage to having Lila home instead of Sam is that Sam needed help with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, whereas Lila doesn't need help. So she's been playing quietly the whole time. That's nice. But Barf. Yeah. That's a good Barf, mortal enemy. That's a Barf, good mortal on, enemy. You're, you're on the list, Barf. Yeah. God, is there anything worse than throwing up? It's funny that there was a, there was a like a six-year period of, in my life where throwing up was a pretty, pretty regular occurrence. It's just like something I accepted is the cost of doing business. Yeah. And and now if I throw up, it's just like the worst thing that worst thing in the world. Yeah. I could share a story about barfing now uh myself, but I won't because okay. I don't want to. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh how about recommendations? Dan, do you have one? I do have a recommendation. Um, so this is barf, this isn't quite as bad as barf, but it's also awful. Um I've had some post-nasal drip for like four weeks straight now. This it's is the just, story that I spared you. It's all post-nasal drip. It's the worst. I don't know. This is this has been the worst winter I can ever remember um, for diseases. Oh, but um, I love February and my name is Dan. <laughs> well, February is usually when it should clear up. And I think it will clear up. Um, but this has been awful. But uh, this morning, it was it was it's getting better. But it was kind of it felt bad this morning. I stopped in at a 7-Eleven. And I picked up something that I've never heard of and was really suspicious of. It's called Exposed. And it is a aloe vera and honey drink. I don't know. You could drink aloe vera. Um, but you can. And this thing is delicious. Ooh. It, it's The company is called ALO. I ended up, I was a little, like I said, I was a little nervous about it. What ended up uh, putting me over the top was that I saw that it was... Um, uh, oh wait a minute! Am I thinking of a? Oh, never mind. Never mind. I thought it was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, right, right. Yeah, it was made in Taiwan. I saw that and I was like, okay, I need to go with some ancient Eastern home remedies here. Um, so I picked it up, and it's delicious. And there are, I mean, depending on a lot of people have weird things with texture. There are like globs of aloe vera floating in this. <laughs> which I didn't know there would be. And it caught me off guard the first time one of those slipped down my throat. Um, but this thing is very good and it's make my throat feel good. So it's, it's aloe, A-L-O exposed, aloe vera and honey drink. Pick it up at your local 7-Eleven today. Dan with the recommendation. My recommendation is Chef's Table Pizza, which I started watching. It's very fun if you want to see different pizza chefs from basically America and Italy, but all around the world talk about how each one of them found the secret to, to, to good pizza. And you know what it is, Dan? It's the dough. It's always the dough. Of course it is. Yeah. It's, and it's so 90% of the pizza. We'll, dov we'll dovetail that with a, my divorce dad thing of the week, which I've now started to make my own dough uh, because I'm inspired by watching those chefs dig their hands into dough. It's just very, you know, people are into ASMR, which is like mm. sights and sounds. I don't know if that like, I I like it because it slows me down, gets me working with food, and I'm gonna try to just make a batch every day because they say like, look, you do this stuff every day, you'll start to realize what works and what doesn't. I'm, I kind of need that. I, I need I need something like that in my life. So need a little structure, need some dough structure. Exactly, and yeah. something to. Uh, you could also write something for the website if you're looking for something to do. <laughs> Let me throw that suggestion out there. That's my recommendation of the week. If, my recommendation of the week if you're a deputy editor of a red sox website and you're looking for something to do write something for that site 
I need to I need to point out that you did own me last week also, <laughs> where you called attention to the article where my name is the first two words. Yeah. But I didn't know I was the deputy editor. So now I'm like, oh shit. I, I didn't give I you that title. title. I well, inherited Matt, you Matt, with that title. Matt didn't Matt didn't even tell me the title. I think he just told Vox what the title was. Gotcha. Okay. Um I can so, change it if you want. No, please don't. Please I don't. I can I make it. you the divorced dad in chief. I mean, I think that you don't need to give me that title. I think I got that. <laughs> that not the not Jake in chief. But uh, okay, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll write something, guys. Guys, I'll write something. Ooh. And I think that promise is a good place to end. Can't wait to follow. You find me week. on Twitter at Brian Joiner B R Y A N J O I N E M O R. ER, you could follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Secatore, D A N S E C A T O R E. We will be back as the season approaches. Dan, enjoy that beverage. You too. Next time we speak, pitchers and catchers will have reported. They will have. It's getting close, guys. It's getting close. Until next time. <laughs>